Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. What do we got going on this weekend, Matthew? I think the uh, street performers are wrapping up, right? Are we getting into uh, the Taste of Edmonton and K-Days already next week? Uh, coming up, Reed, yes. Mike, I love Taste of Edmonton. I could just live at Churchill Square and eat all day. Maybe I'll do that. Reed, do you know what's going to be at um, Taste of Edmonton? There is going to be a Rogers Place booth there, so you can taste some food from Rogers Place coming up. Oh, good. Yep, learn that from Ice Level. If you watch those great features that Jessica Kent puts on for the Ice Level features on rogersplace.com. Jessica Kent, talented young lady. Yeah, she's great. Uh, this portion of Inside Sports brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. So we had Tony Washington and DeAnthony Batiste from the Edmonton Eskimos in studio last hour. Big men. What do we have for height and weight? Okay, Tony Washington is six foot seven. 318 pounds. And Anthony, just give me a second to scroll up, is uh, 6'4", 314. 6'4", and 6'7", 318. Wow, big boys. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be trying to run through them, man. <laughs> to get to the quarterback, yeah. of course. So. Yeah, yeah, the old, yeah, the Eskimo's O-line is, is, has been good. Yes, very good. Very good. That, that's one thing that they've really done a good job in the Eskimos is making sure the offensive line is good. And Simeon Rortier is still on the team. Hervey didn't like him for a while there, remember? When he said, I hope he never plays another down for us. Yep. Well, Ed backed off. Rortier's had a good career. O'Donnell, great pickup. And uh, these two guys, American tackles, both very good. So, yeah, and they, I liked how they talked about playing together. And it's interesting how calm, I mean, this is the thing. They, they are so calm in when things are going bad in a game. They just and they they talked about it again today. It's just like yeah, whatever. We know we were going to come back and end of the game against Saskatchewan. It's like yeah, we just knew we all we had to do was get in the field goal range. We knew we could do it. It's not easy to watch sometimes. It's uh, pretty frustrating, pretty pretty harrowing, but you you can't argue with the Grey Cup last year, twelve and one in their last thirteen games that counted. That's impressive, man. I mean, not many teams can do that these days, you know. Hamilton is up 19-7 now on Montreal early in the fourth quarter in Montreal. We'll keep you updated on that one. The Blue Jays, uh, the Blue Jays just getting underway against the Oakland Athletics. Hey, the Olympics are coming up in Rio. We've been introducing you to some Olympians this week. We're going to reintroduce you to this young man. We have had him on the show before, but he is 
confirmed to be competing for Canada in the men's marathon. Out of Ontario, it is Reed Coolset. Reed, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to catch up with you, and congratulations on being named to the Olympic team for well, less than a less than a month away here in uh, Rio. Well, I mean, uh, tell us, w did you know you were going to be named because you you'd reached a standard, or did you, did they have to pick you? What what was that whole process like? Yeah, so the process was a bit more um, complicated than uh, than it was four years ago, because uh, both times we had to hit the standard in the marathon. That's uh, first and foremost, you have to do that. If you don't do that, um, you know, you have no shot at going. So I did that in September. Um, April and September last year, so I had hit the standard twice, and then this year they just wanted to make sure that I was still training and still fit, so they wanted me to run, um, uh, you know, a couple of good races, uh, at least one good race, and I gave them my uh, schedule for the year and included a half marathon, so they were really looking, and then this is Athletics Canada, I'm talking about Athletics Canada wanted to see me run a good half marathon, and um, unfortunately I was injured, and that didn't happen in March, and um, just recovering from my injury through April and May um, didn't make sense for me to chase a half marathon then. And then once June and July come around, they, there's really not many half marathons just because uh, people don't put them on when it's hot. So I was just uh, running 10Ks, and I ran a ran a good 10K um, a few weeks ago, and um, I thought that would be good enough because it was in the range we had talked about. But, uh, you know, until my name, uh, until I saw my name on that list uh, earlier on Monday, I wasn't quite sure, so it was a it was a big relief. I um, I thought I would be named, but there was still a chance that um, I wasn't. So it was, it was you know it was a big relief and uh, excited to be heading to Rio. You were in the Olympics in 2012. Certainly, the Olympics come with their own uh, amount of hype and hope and all that kind of stuff. Just but besides just knowing that you're in the Olympics, how how is it different uh, competing in the Olympics than maybe? And I know you run big races, but just another marathon. Or, or once you get out there and once you're there, can you treat it like just another marathon? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure it's a, you know, a bit different. You know, there's a lot more media coverage. Um, and the field is just way deeper, right, than um, any other marathon. You know, um, you know, some of the big marathons you know, might actually you know, be tougher to finish in the top five or six. But, you know, the Olympics... Um, you know, finish top ten, top twenty is is the is the toughest race. You know, for for those kind of numbers and um, so yeah, it, it, obviously it's different and the, the courses are a bit different. The Olympics usually has a looped course, and you know, um, you know people, you know, tons of people cheering and and then running for your country. So you you kind of feel like um, you know. You're not just kind of doing it like picking your own race and doing your own thing. It's you know you're you're representing Canada, and uh, that comes with um, you know a little bit of pressure, but more more so just excitement and and pride. What do you know about the Rio course, Reed? Yeah, so it looks pretty flat. I haven't seen a profile yet, but I've seen a lot of pictures and just kind of looking at the Google uh, Street View and stuff. Um, yeah, it starts at Sombrodrome where they have the uh, Carnival, so it's a big straight away it's not a, the typical stadium with a you know a track with where you do a lap at the at the end it's a it's a it's a straightaway with stands on each side but massive um looks really cool so you start and finish there but you go out um towards the coast and you run these three fairly big loops and then and then come back to the finish so you, you only go through that start finish area um twice and whereas other other times you know you you, you do loops and you kind of come through the 
the start finish line a few times. Okay, so do you like that covering the same ground more than once, or does it does it, does it matter once you're out there? Uh, you know, for a normal run, no. I, for a normal run, I like to do one big loop. But right. but when you're racing, um, it, it's actually nice because then you know exactly where your water bottles are going to be each lap. Um, you get to know the course really well. So, you know, Eric and I can go down to Rio and hopefully just do a tour of that loop. And, you know, we can, hopefully we, you know, do a little run around there. And it's only like a, you know, a 10K run or something like that um, versus, you know, if it's a 42K loop, it's hard to get to know that course. And you can't just go and run that, you know, a few days before the event. You just don't, you don't run that long. So um, in, in those respects, I like running a loop course. Uh, there's, there's, quite, there's quite a few advantages. Reed Colsett joining us, member of the Canadian Olympic team. He's going to be running the marathon. You mentioned you know where the the water stops are. How much water will you drink during a marathon? I mean, is there such a thing? You're obviously losing a lot of fluid. Is there a such thing as as too much water? How do you gauge it? Yeah, you can, you can drink too much water. I think on a really hot day, it's really hard, and um, you can also you know uh, lose a lot of electrolytes too. So you can't just drink water. You need to drink a um, a solution that has you know electrolytes and some carbs in it too. Um, I think uh, in, a, in a hot marathon, you, you might drink three liters, um, you know, which seems like a lot. But, you know, a typical marathon in the fall, you might just drink a, a liter, liter and a half. But, yeah, you can easily drink twice as much, um, you know, if the temperatures are 25 degrees and sunny. How do you manage your weight, Reed? Because you're obviously burning a lot of calories and, like I mentioned, losing a lot of fluid every time you run. Do you try to hover around a certain weight? Do you bulk up or slim down closer to a marathon how do you approach all that yeah you know what um i definitely uh i definitely lose a bit of weight like going into a race but uh i don't do it on purpose i just you know i'm I just i'm just running i'm just training a lot so you know if i'm running around 200 kilometers a week for a few weeks uh you know the you're just burning a lot, and uh, it's hard to keep up. So, you know, I tend to lose a, a few pounds, but um, I eat a ton to to make sure I don't lose too much. Because uh, you know, if you lose too much weight, you're gonna you're not you're gonna have any energy. You know, you'll, you'll start wasting away your muscles. So you need to be healthy going into it. Um, but you know, lean um, you know, for the marathon. You don't want to be carrying extra weight, of course. So there's no no bulking up in the gym or anything like that. Right. All right. So tell us uh, when the marathon is and and sort of what your schedule is going to be over the next few weeks to get ready for it. Yeah. So one thing about the marathon, it's uh, like well, the men's marathon. It's a little bit different. Um, it's on the very last day, so I don't go to opening ceremonies. A lot of people are surprised by that. I just watch them from my home in Hamilton. Just like uh, most people just be watching, uh, you know, on CBC. So that's, uh, you know, kind of, you know, anticlimactic right there. But, um, you know, having the marathon the very last day, August 21st, it's, uh, it's really cool. So I think that it starts at 9.30 local time, um, and Rio is the same time zone as Nova Scotia. Um, so, you know, in Ontario, we're an hour back, and then I guess you guys would be about three hours from Nova Scotia. So I guess 6.30 in the morning start. Um, yeah, and uh, up until uh, really about uh, 10 days before, you know, it's just really hard training. And then the last 10 days, taper off and get the legs fresh and, and, and feeling good. And, you know, the, all the hard work's been done then. And you just got to, you know, feel healthy and, and, and springy for the race. Will you run the day before the marathon or will that be an off day? 
Yeah, I will for sure. Yeah. Um, in, in, the, in the few days leading up to the race, I don't want to, you know, your body gets so used to running every day that if you just stop running, it, you know, it, it, it shuts down. It's like your body just says, okay, good. Like we're not doing this anymore. Like, we can, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, shut down. So yeah, it won't be much, you know, it might only be a 5k run, you know, something like that. So maybe 5k the day before, 7k the day before that. Um, so quite light running compared to, you know, our normal training is, you know, usually around 30k a day. Um, so running 5k just is a treat. Right on. Well, we wish you all the best. I mean, this is awesome. You're going for the for the second time, and thanks for filling us in on some of the details and all the all the hard work you put into your racing. Reed, all the yeah, best, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. That is Reed Colset. He made it. He's on the Olympic marathon team. He's going to the Olympics for the second time. Great stuff. And uh, we'll continue introducing you to some Olympians as we count down towards the Rio Games. I quickly want to bop over to the 630 Ched newsroom, Daniel Stilwell. Daniel, what's uh, going on with the thunderstorm situation? Well, right now, Environment Canada has uh, lifted the thunderstorm watch for uh, City of Edmonton, St. Albert, and Sherwood Park. Uh, looks like the, uh, the storms moved just uh, east of the city. So... Doesn't look like anything's on the horizon for the rest of the evening there. All right. Thanks, buddy. Talk no problem. At 8.30. That's Daniel Stilwell from the 6.30 Ched Newsroom. We're going to take a quick timeout. Hamilton taking it to Montreal now, up 22-7 with nine and a half minutes left in CFL action. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Ched. Matt Hendricks is going to be playing in the Celebrity Pro-Am on Monday the 25th at the Glendale, leading into the Oil Country Championship on the McKenzie Tour. He will be joined by Lisa Longball-Vluswick, and she's coming up in the next half hour of the show. Matthew, a seven-time Canadian women's long drive champion. That's impressive. Yeah. She hits it a long way. Probably her drives are like yours and mine combined. I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and probably straighter. <laughs> You're probably right on that. Because I Mine. think to win the long drive, they, they they can't just be long. They have to land on a grid, right? Yeah, they I've have to stay the, uh, within a certain area. I've watched the contest before on television when they used to have them. I don't know if they, are they on TV anymore. I, I know they used to have them on TV. Well, so. They're probably on Golf Channel or yeah. something. But, uh, yeah, no, she's, uh, she's a great story. Lisa Longball, uh, if you just Google her. On the internet, she's got a good good website with a lot of. It, it's interesting watching her hit, how she kind of drives her legs at the ground to create all that torque and energy, and then just huge club speed, obviously, to whip it off the tee. So yeah, she's coming up. She'll give us some uh, some golf advice, which we all need, mostly me. Did you see Sidney Crosby got his day with the cup today? Well, because he's the captain, he actually gets two days with the cup, so yes. he goes to Cole Harbor. And uh, guess where he took the cup? I did see a picture of where he <laughs> took it. That, that That's Tim an Hortons. impressive place. Where else would you take it? Uh, Paul McFarlane. It works for the Tim Hortons in Cole Harbor. He come behind the counter and put it on the counter and made sure that uh, all the girls, all the staff got pictures with them. Now, would you drink a double-double out of the Stanley Cup? Maybe an ice cap? Oh, maybe a triple-double, buddy. A tri- triple-double. Why not? You know, it, it's it's worth it. That's for sure. Uh, no, I don't. I don't drink coffee. So a double double is uh, two cream and two sugar. Yeah. So that's the most common way to drink your coffee. I usually just drink it plain black. Black. But I you can get a black. single single. 
Yeah. Now, w- which is first, the cream or the sugar? What if you wanted a single double? Confusion. I could never. Work. I could. <laughs> I could confusion. never work at a Tim Hortons. Hi, sir. What'd you like to order? Uh, I'd like to order a double double. Well, is that do is that a, a donut? Is that a donut? <laughs> Chocolate sprinkles. That's what that is. When I was in Lloyd Minster, I don't think I've ever done it here in Edmonton. We used to go uh, serve oh, at Tim grand. Hortons camp day, and like, it's amazing how fast they are. Like somebody would come up to the counter and be like, okay, and I'd be like, all right, and I'm trying to process, and the people are already pouring the coffee and getting it to them, and they know where all the machines are, and I was just like, what's going on? I, bar- I barely realized the person talked. Well, I, once in a while, Reed, used to go out before uh, for Miracle Treat Day and used to go to Dairy Queens oh, yeah. for the street team here, and I'm like totally lost trying to make it a blizzard, right? It's just like, oh my goodness, how do you guys do it so fast? See, they let you, see, at, at when I did the Tim stuff, they didn't let you do anything complicated, except pour coffee. You could do, but you did, you weren't allowed to do ice caps or make sandwiches or anything yeah. like that. I mean, seriously. Would you want a radio or TV person making your sandwich at Tim's? I think not. That's probably a big time mistake right there. <laughs> uh, Jamie Ben. New contract for the uh, from the Dallas Stars. Going to make nine and a half million dollars per season for the next eight years, starting next year. The St. Louis Blues have signed Jaden Schwartz to a five-year deal. It's worth twenty-six point seven five million dollars. Some hockey notes from today. Ryan Nugent Hopkins was on with uh, Bob Stoffer on Oilers Now earlier today. You can get that full interview by uh, going to the Oilers Now page on six thirty chedcom this texture says, could you please review the Eskimos game from yesterday and the score versus Winnipeg? Oh, man. Missed the, the Eskimos won 2016. Uh, we did a lot of recap earlier in the show. We had a couple of Eskimos in studio. So if you missed that, you can go to the Inside Sports page on the Ched website. Steven says, uh, hey, Reed, speaking of Hendricks, do you see the Oilers being able to protect him in the expansion draft? I love what he brings to the team. Would we be able to hang on to him if he's exposed? Well, uh, Matt Hendricks is, he's going into the final year of his contract, right? So it's not going to be an issue unless they re-sign him, right? So uh, this could be Matt Hendricks' final year with the Edmonton Oilers. We will see. Does Hendricks get traded at the deadline if the Oilers are out of it? Now, now, oh, we're, really, oh, oh, oh. now we're really getting a July 15th hypothetical question. Eh? Whoa. <laughs> Let's... Probably would happen, I think. I would Probably have to would. think. I mean... Let's let's put it this way. I'm hoping that we're going to see some meaningful games in March and April this season because the orders play what 11 of 14 in March at home. Yes, that's why the, the schedule is in their favor to have to be able to you know have games that are meaningful in March, as far as I'm concerned. Phil Mickelson leading the British Open. He's 10 under. This was the first course that I really played effectively, Lynx Golf in 2004. That's where it really kind of turned for me. And um, this is where this is where it kind of happened. This is where I stopped trying to overpower the golf course. All right, of course, it's being held at Royal Troon. Henrik Stenson, second place, 9 under. Hey, did you hear the tenors guy uh, apologize today? Remigio Pereira, five-minute video apology. He posted on the old internet. I wanted to apologize for changing the Canadian National Anthem. Um, I know that the anthem is very um, revered. Uh, It has a lot of history behind it. And um, in no shape or form was I intending to disrespect um, the anthem, the people of my country, uh, and the people that have fallen 
for this country to be free. All right, uh, Remigio Pereira, if you're still interested in him. This texture says, I tried to order a large double-double at McDonald's in the United States, and they told me I was at the wrong restaurant. In-N-Out has a delightful double-double cheeseburger. Well, there you go. I learned something about fast food in the United States today. Are we at break time already? We are. All right. Uh, how do you hit a golf ball like 350 yards consistently? Lisa Longball Vluswick up next. 630 Chat Inside Sports. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Bon Jovi. This is Bounce, right? Off the yes. album Bounce. Wasn't the album also Bounce? Yes. Did you see that incident with him, by the way, at a wedding? With John Bond? Yes. What did he do? He was at a private wedding. Okay. This is last week. And I guess what happened was, Reed, is that the ja- there was a jazz band playing at this wedding. And they went into a rendition of Living on a Prayer. Well, Bon Jovi really didn't want to go up and start singing with them. Did they, were they trying to get him to come up? He they eventually knew he was there? did, but it was a half-hearted living on a prayer effort, let's put it that way. By him or by the jazz band? By him. He wasn't exactly thrilled about going up and, and playing well, at this Well, he's wedding. at a wedding. He doesn't want to perform. I know. So, that's what I'm just saying. I found, it's kind of bad for him that they forced him to go that's up That's like the whole that. incident? Yeah. Well, I thought there was going to be like he poured punch on somebody's head or something. No, no. Just He just <laughs> didn't want to sing living on a prayer, that's all. They had the coercion well, to hey, get up there. He's not. The guy deserves a night off. I agree. I agree 100%. He's only 54, eh? Or 53, 54. He's a young man. Yeah, I know. Still. He's got. I was on. By the way, a big shout out to Bag Milk and Jean Shorts from Oilers Nation. They had me on their podcast this afternoon. I believe it's already posted, so you can go listen to it. We were talking about uh, Mick Jagger, who continues to make love to and impregnate women in his 70s. What is he, 71, 73? He's 72, I believe. And he's, okay. <laughs> we'll go in the middle, 72. <laughs> he's somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'll quickly double check. Uh, he is, what, his 29-year-old girlfriend is now with child? <laughs> Good for Mick. He is, yes, he is 72. I can't wait to see him in October, Reed. Going to that Desert Trip concert in California. Oh, who is that? Him, uh, the Stones, McCartney. Uh, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Roger Waters, and The Who. So I'll be getting my fix of classic rock that weekend, and I'll for sure probably be the youngest person in the audience there as well. (laughs) (laughs) What are you, 30? Yes. Mick Jagger is set to welcome his eighth child. This is a story on CNN I'm reading. The 72-year-old rocker and his 29-year-old girlfriend, American ballerina uh, Melanie Hamrick, are said to be expecting they began dating in 2004. Jagger has seven children ranging in ages from 45 to 17, and in 2014 became a great-grandfather when his then 21-year-old granddaughter gave birth to a baby girl. So he's going to have a child who is younger than a great-grandchild. Seems a bit, I don't know, a bit odd that that you'd want to do that, but... Who, him or the wife? No, him. Or the the girlfriend? Aren't you at some point... Or just dating Mick Jagger in general? Doesn't your cycle eventually run out with kids making and stuff like that? Well, you know, apparently like, not. Apparently his cycles are firing just fine. It's like I'm grandpa <laughs> and I'm yeah, still making babies. Just saying. Hey, rock and roll is 
all about sex. How's he going to write songs if he stops having sex? You can't always get what you want, so get what you need. If you're Mick Jagger, I think you can get what you want. He wants 29-year-old ballerinas. I wonder if he uses anything to start them up. So I just keep going with these cliches. <laughs> I'm being Gene Principe tonight, eh? Just the, the you punches. are Principe-esque. Yeah. You're not at his level. Though. No, no, nowhere near. You're not, you're not quite at, quite at his his level. So what, what's what's the rule? Half your age plus seven for age uh, difference in dating, right? So technically, let's see, seventy-two divided by two equals thirty-six plus. So really, Jagger shouldn't be going younger than forty-six. I bet this girl's dad is sixty, sixty-five. How do you introduce a guy to your dad? Say, Dad, I'm, well, I'm dating Mick when Jagger, but Mick buddies. Jagger, it's different though. He's not well, living in a retirement home. Don't you think there's a <laughs> are there are different rules for rock stars? I well, mean, they, if I'm 72 and I date a 29 year old, right? That might be an awkward introduction because the girl would be like, "Hey, meet my dad, Reed Wilkins," and the dad would be like, "Why? Why are you dating an old man?" <laughs> but if you introduce Mick Jagger to your dad, the dad's going to be like, oh my God, my daughter's dating Mick Jagger. This is incredible. Have all of his babies that you want. Yeah, I guess you're right. But I mean, still, there's an age limit there where you just cut that stuff off, I think. Just cut that stuff off. (laughs) There's an age where you just say, "That's, that's enough kids making for me, you know. Well... Oh, there's anything wrong with that, I guess. But, no, yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with repopulating the earth. No. <laughs> Mick Jagger's just thinking about the future of humanity. Well, he's got a bunch of backup singers now, I guess, and they can make another Rolling Stones band. He can start his band. own band. Yeah. The, the, they should start a band called the Jagger Children. Or they could call themselves the Jagger Meisters. The Jagger Swaggers. Oh, that's a good one. Mick Jagger, we were talking about this with, uh, I was talking about this with the podcast guys earlier today. Remember in the, it was probably about 20, 25 years ago when they were in Edmonton and they ate at the Louisiana Purchase, you know, that restaurant, uh, what is it, like 111th and 104th half? It's oh, around yeah. there. Great Cajun Creole restaurant. And you go there and there's a plate called Mix Satisfaction Plate, right? Because that was what he ordered. So they changed it after Mick Jagger. But I remember reading at the time. And Mick Jagger, I mean, he's known for being very thin and very good shape, right? Obviously, into his into his seventies. Um, apparently, after the show, when he's very physical and running around all over, he would then go work out for a couple of hours. So after he went through the energy of performing a concert, he would then he would then work out. That's how he stayed in such good shape. Interesting. So anyway, uh, Mick Jagger is going to be a dad again. So this, so his kids age in range from 45 to 17. So now he's going to have kids aging in range from 45 to newborn. That's incredible. You, you, you seem actually a bit offended by this. That's not just. Is it just because he took someone out of the dating pool for you? <laughs> yes, that's that's. Where's what's going my on. ballerina? Yes, I had my eyes set on her and just. Mick Jagger stole her from me. That's what happened. I'm, it, I'm a bit envious of Mick Jagger. He jacked my woman. Is that another song by them? Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh, right. I'm bad with song lyrics and stuff. Uh, it's 31-7, Hamilton leading Montreal. The game's almost over. We'll take a quick timeout, and then, uh, well, we'll continue talking about balls with Lisa Longball Valuswick. <laughs>
You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. There we go. Who is this, 1980? Around there. Good track. Thanks for tuning in tonight, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Awesome to have two members of the Edmonton Eskimos in studio earlier. DeAnthony Batiste and Tony Washington. On Monday, Inside Sports will be from 6 to 8. Morley Scott will have the Eskimos show from 8 to 9. The Eskimos will be back on the field getting ready to host Hamilton next Saturday. Lisa Longball Vluswick, Calgarian, seven-time Canadian Long Drive champion. She's coming to Edmonton for the Oil Country Championship in a week and a half. Lisa, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic, Reed. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, good to talk to you again. You know, I wanted to talk to you this summer anyway, and then now a perfect opportunity because you're coming to little old Edmonton, aren't you? I'm super excited about coming to Edmonton. We're coming to the Glendale uh, and uh, going to be part of the Celebrity Pro-Am uh, for the McKenzie Tour event, the Oil Country uh, Championship. So really, really excited, especially with all the Oiler alumni and current uh, Oilers and uh, a list of celebrities that are going to be out there. It should be a fantastic event for uh, golfers in Edmonton to come watch. Now, did you get to play in a lot of Pro-Ams? And sort of what is, what is the, the mood when you get to participate in well, these? <laughs> You know, programs are really fun because the guests are really excited to be out there, and uh, I try to make it a, a great event that we, you know, we have fun, we're laughing and chatting, sharing stories. But I also, you know, being a golfer, I try to share some tips with my program partners and help them, you know, to hit it longer and straighter. So I love that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I've been in several programs before: uh, the Teleskins game, uh, Halifax, and uh, uh, Banff Springs, and so you know, so many neat events. You, you just get to meet fantastic people that that love this game of golf so that's what I, I really truly enjoy most about it yeah well it's going to be fun you're a seven-time Canadian long drive champion I should mention that for people who uh, aren't familiar <laughs> with you or who didn't hear our, our interview last summer so when you when you get into these programs are you like okay it's time to show off I'm, I'm ripping all these drives <laughs> like 500 yards <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, it always says in these pro-ams, ladies get to tee off from the forward tees. So I'm like, hey, I'm a lady. I should get to play from the forward tees, right? <laughs> Which my pro-am partners think is awesome. <laughs> no, you know what? It's, uh, I do try, try to hit fairways because in, in long drive, we get six balls. We have a, a, a grid that's 40 yards wide, over 400 yards long. And really, we just need to hit at least one in there long and straight. So I have to actually tone it back a little bit when I play full golf to make sure I hit the fairway because Laying three off the tee doesn't make your program partners happy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, that's a great lead into my to my question. I mean, how what what is that transition like for you from the long drive competition to playing a a regular round of golf? Because I know when we talked last year, I mean, you're you're still a a pretty good golfer though you've kind of yeah specialized. single digit handicap yeah, yeah absolutely you know shooting the the mid 70s i'd be disappointed if i was you know higher than that so so i i think when i'm playing full golf what, what people don't you know or they forget is that yes i hit a driver a long way but i hit all my clubs a long way so when i'm at uh, 155 yards i'm using an eight iron and i did a monday qualifier for the lpga uh, canadian women's open and when i was with these other lpga girls at 155 yards many of them are using hybrids and so and i'm coming with an eight iron so i'm coming in with a lot 
you know, different, you know, clubs that are easier to land on the green and stop quick. Um, so that's my advantage is my length, but I do have to tone it back. Like if you watch the PGA Tour, you watch your Bubba Watsons, your Dustin Johnsons, the really long hitters on tour, they actually are not hitting as long as they possibly can. They all have a gear five. They're just not in gear five because they want to hit fairways as well. So, um, you know, I think for me, it's a, it's the same type of golf swing. I use my same equipment. A standard gentleman's driver is 45 inches. Um, I use 47 and a quarter. The maximum legal allowed by uh, the USGA and the RNA is 48 inches. So I'm under, I'm under that by three quarters of an inch. But I still do use that longer driver. It does create more club head speed, but harder to keep straight. And so that's kind of the, the, the payoff. But I found I've swung that driver tens of thousands of times that I just use that and just kind of gear it back a little bit. All right. Let me ask you this. Lisa Longball Vluswick joining us on Insights Force. You can go to lisalongball.ca, by the way, if you want to find out more. Where does your power come from? Because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, I don't think they, they know they're not going to go out in a day or two and learn how to hit at 400 yards, but everybody would like to add 10, 20, 30 yards, right? Where, where Absolutely. Does your, where does your power come from? Well, there's a couple things, and I think, uh, you know, 80% of female golfers can't hit it over 200 yards. The reason why? Women tend to be arms lifters. And uh, so because they're arms lifters, they're not actually creating any turn, any coil, any torque. If you want to hit long drives, not just long drives, but hit all your clubs further, you need to make a good turn. Now, with guys, I find that guys make a pretty darn good turn, but what happens is men are typically a bit stronger in that shoulders, upper back region. So when they get to the top of their backswing, yes, they've created power, coil, and torque, but they start their downswing with their upper body. If you start that downswing with your upper body, you, you end up losing all that coil and torque that you've built up by the time you get to impact. So to hit it longer uh, off, off the tee or anywhere in your game, you need to really create that turn. So I like to think of a very simple swing thought of turn your shirt in your backswing, turn your pants in your downswing. So the, turning the shirt, turning that upper body, turning the torso in the backswing, but the downswing needs to lead with your lead hip, your lead pocket, your belt buckle, your guts, whatever it is that makes you turn. And that's a turn, not a slide, because read a lot of players tend to slide, and that's a big power leak. Well, and th- and that's a that's a good point too. And and let's face it, I, I know when I go out and play an average round, and I, and I and I am not a long hitter. I mean, if if I play well, I keep it straight. Um, when I'm yeah, playing straight poorly, is good. <laughs> when, I, when I'm playing poorly, it is neither straight nor long. But again, I mean, you see a lot of uh, of people, and let's face it, Lisa, we're gonna I'm gonna say something generalizing here, but it's often younger men who yep. they can hit one drive out of 10, 320 yards, yep. and they crow about it, but the rest of theirs are in the bush or, or out of play. So to me, that's yep. not really being a long hitter if you can't do it consistently. What, what's the number one mistake you know, people do when they're, they're trying to add distance? I would say the number one mistake is uh, they tighten their grip pressure. They are squeezing the heck out of that golf grip. And if you want tension, it's a club head speed killer. If you want speed, relax, loose, supple muscles. Um, I recommend to my students, uh, I, I teach golf schools uh, uh, to help people add distance. And when, I, when I'm teaching, I teach students to relax. I actually tell students to take a deep breath out. So right before you're about to hit a golf shot, whether it's an iron, a fairy wood, a hybrid, or a driver, take a deep breath. 
That helps relax that grip pressure. And then you want to swing without creating tension. On a scale of 1 to 10, your grip pressure should only be about a 2 or a 3. Um, you know, Sam Sneed referred to, uh, to your grip pressure as holding a small bird in your hands. Um, you know, many of us haven't held a small bird. I like to refer to it as holding maybe an open uh, can of pop where you don't crush the can or an open tube of toothpaste where the contents don't come out. Now, Reed, if you think about it, by squeezing, that's not much squeeze that would crumple that or, or have the toothpaste come out. So we really need to make sure, I find, especially at the top of the backswing, when you transition into that downswing, relax that grip pressure. That's an interesting point because I I think a lot of people are so focused on the mechanics of the swing, they forget about actually the grip and how hard they might be gripping exactly someone told me that recently too just kind of you know have it in there make sure it's not going to fly out of your hand obviously when you when you when you good advice yeah when you pull it back but you you don't need to you don't need to squeeze it and tense up all your arms and arm and hand muscles to to it will slow you down for sure yeah and it will create what happens is if you're a slicer i guarantee if you're a slicer, uh, check your grip pressure, and there's probably a good chance your grip pressure is too tight. When your grip pressure is too tight, your club face is open at impact, and you will slice it all day long. How much does equipment matter to you? I, I mean, you you mentioned the length of your driver, yeah, and all. I mean, you see, especially now when something like the British Open is on, you see so many commercials buy this ball, buy this driver. Yes. I mean, to the average golfer, do we need to worry too much about what <laughs> what we're playing? That's with? That's a great or? question. You know what, the number one mistake, I think a lot of people want to buy the most expensive ball. So whether that's your, you know, your Nike resins or your Pro V1s or whatever it may be, that your $50 a dozen, $60 a dozen balls, if your club head speed isn't over 100 miles an hour, you are wasting your money. Um, is it, you know, are they great balls? Yes, but they, they maximize the faster club head speeds. So in that, in that frame of mind, you don't need to be spending $60 a dozen uh, to, to maximize your distance or spin off, off the balls. Again, especially if you don't have that, that club head speed over 100. In terms of equipment, um, I definitely think the bigger drivers, you know, the, the drivers that have come out in the last few years uh, are the 460cc drivers. You know, people tease and say, oh, it looks like a Volkswagen on a stick or whatever else <laughs> but it's uh those those are just truly more forgiving um I, I do think that that's really handy you know having a bigger club face is more forgiving um i also i, I had the good fortune of being able to do a demonstration with uh, mr gary player uh the black knight and uh, he said he felt that the best invention in the game of golf in the last 20 years was the hybrid i believe like I, I, i'm i'm a single digit handicap um you know and i can hit my three and four iron very well and so when my coach wanted me to to, to try a hybrid i'm like no no i hit my three and four four really great you know lisa just try it and i tried it and the hybrid it's just more forgiving i uh, can create a softer landing you know gives you some options out of the rough as well I, I chip with my hybrid too sometimes so you know i definitely think every player should have hybrid in in, in their bag but but most importantly read shaft i i think so many people have the wrong shaft that's the engine of your golf club um a lot of women you know if, if you're a relatively athletic woman you should probably be hitting a senior flex shaft if not a men's regular if you're hitting a ladies flex shaft and you take a good rip at it your errant shots might not be your golf swing. It's just that your shaft's too flexible. And on the other side, the guys are hitting the double extra stiff shaft, <laughs> you know, because they want to tell their buddies that. But but they're actually losing yardage. If you want to hit a long ball, you want to hit the most flexible shaft you can control uh, for maximum distance. 
Well, this is this is great advice, and it's so cool. Uh, you're coming to Edmonton, so you're going to be in the uh, Celebrity Pro-Am yeah. for the Oil Country Championship that ne- is next Monday, July 25th. And then uh, I know you're a, a, a proud Calgarian, but most importantly, you're a, a proud Albertan, so it's great. Oh, I'm a proud Albertan. No, you, you nailed yeah. it. And, you know, I'm so excited. Like, I, I have to tell you one quick story. Uh, I was uh, golfing with Zach Boychuk. He plays for the Carolina Hurricanes, and we were golfing at a kids' sport tournament, raising money for children who can't afford sports. And I thought we'd be playing with kind of uh, corporate partners, kind of like a pro-am situation. Well, I got paired with Zach, and he brought some friends along. So we're a couple holes in, and I, you know, I kind of felt like the mom in the group, cause, you know, with these 20-year-olds. And uh, all of a sudden, three holes in, Zach says to his friend, hey, Ebbs. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Jordan Everly. And it was so funny. Jordan uh, Everly was so kind, so nice. And, and Reed, he may be one of the best golfers I've ever played with. Not hockey players who golf, best golfers. He is spectacular. Well, wow, great to hear. Well, you're going to have a lot yeah. of fun at the Glendale, and I hope we can uh, we can do this again. We didn't even get to talk about the British Open. Maybe during the PGA oh, I... or the Olympics we'll have you on again. All right. Well, I'd love to because I've got lots to say about that, and I've been to the Open before, and it's a different beast. Like the weather conditions came out today, and that those are truly open conditions today. And, and Phil Mickelson, wow, he, he, uh, it's uh, unbelievable what he's been doing, and uh, he's making that charge to, to win that major. Yeah, Mickelson looking for another one. Thanks, Lisa. Great to have you on the show. Lisa Vluswick. She goes by Lisa Longball, and uh, you're going to see her hit some big ones next Monday, the 25th, when she's in town for the Pro-Am for the Oil Country Championship at Glendale. Inside Sports, presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Mickelson, 10-under. Stenson, 9-under. They are the uh, top two at the British Open so far. Hamilton pulls away from Montreal and wins big, 31-7. Your final tonight in the Canadian Football League. The Blue Jays trail Oakland 2-1. That one is in the top of the third. That Eskimos game last night, Matthew, you know, Winnipeg is one of those teams that use those big play-calling cards with symbols on them and to, to point to which play to call, right? Oh, yeah. And they just, they just use any, any symbols from the world, pop culture, logos, whatever. I don't know who noticed it last night, but they had the littlest hobo. It's a picture of the littlest hobo. I'm serious. I forgot to take a picture and tweet it out. They had the littlest hobo as one of the one of the pictures on their play calling cards. So oh, anyway, man. I thought that was I, – I'll have to go back and find it. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Besides Lisa Longball, you heard from Canadian marathoner Reed Coolset, and we were in studio with the Anthony Batiste and Tony Washington. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening is Matthew Panashik. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. Always fun. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you Monday. I want to settle down until tomorrow. The whole world is my home. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.